I will not preach a long time, but I would ask that you would be sensitive to the Lord tonight. And I trust that you will. Genesis 13 and verse number 5, if you have that, say praise the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. And between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. Do you realize that this was symbolically, the Bible is liking it to the Garden of Eden. Like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zor. And then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. I'd like to skip to chapter 14 and verse 10. Turn with me to chapter 14 and verse 10. And the veil of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain, and they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. I'd like to preach from this subject tonight and I would form it in a question and I would ask all of us here tonight, what direction are you trending? What direction are you trending? Could you look at the person beside you or behind you and, and just ask them, what direction is your life trending? Where are you going? Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. It's important to know what direction your life is trending in. What grabs your interest? What moves you to action? What arrests your attention? What energizes you? What causes you to pause? What, what wakes you up in the morning? A trend in culture refers to any type of behavior that becomes popular and lasts for 10 years or so. And trends usually occur in fashion and technology or business. A trend usually starts with just a small group of people doing something and until that something catches on and becomes popular. When I was a kid, I remember begging my mom for a silk jacket, a silk purple jacket. 
And I don't know what possessed her, but she gave in and she bought that silk purple jacket. And the reason that I wanted it was because that was popular at the time. And if I wore that same coat today, you would laugh me out of town. That's the power of a trend. Trends usually start very small and gradually they gain momentum. Eventually a trend becomes common. Cell phones are an example of something that began as a trend and then it became extremely common. You know, cell phones were once considered something that only rich businessmen would ever have any need for. And now today, even small children have cell phones. Trending is a word used in social media. If Millions of people are talking about something on social media sites like Twitter and Facebook and other websites. It's called a trending topic. Companies like Coca-Cola pay big money in advertising, hoping that their product will become a trending topic because they know that if something is trending, then people are talking about it. And if people are talking about it, then they are thinking about it. And if people are thinking about it, then they will eventually... Try it. Investors know the value of understanding trends. They know that if you can predict what the next big thing is going to be, then you can become a rich man. If you had known that Chick-fil-A would be one of the most successful fast food restaurant chains in the United States of America when it was first getting started, then you could have invested in Chick-fil-A and you could be a rich man today. That's the power of understanding trends. That's the power of trends. But investors also know that when you are looking at trends, you need to look for things that are trending downwards, not just things that are trending upwards. How many people lost everything that they had because they did not realize that the real estate market was trending downwards when everybody was telling everybody that you cannot go wrong in real estate? Trends are very important. Trends affect our lives. And everywhere we turn, trends affect us. And all of us are trending towards something tonight. We're either becoming more and more like the Lord or we're becoming more and more like the world. I believe tonight that it is extremely important to examine the data of our own lives and find the direction that our lives are trending. Are we trending towards heaven or are we trending towards hell? Are we trending towards righteousness or are we trending towards unrighteousness? Are we trending towards victory or are we trending towards defeat? And we cannot bear the burden of examining our own hearts by Ourself, because only God knows the condition of our hearts better than we do. Only God knows the condition of our thoughts better than we do. God knows exactly where you are tonight. God knows exactly what your thought life consists of tonight. And God is concerned with the direction that your life is trending. God is looking at our desires. And God is calling us tonight to allow him to examine our hearts and examine our souls. That's exactly what the psalmist was talking about when he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, O God, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. In another place, that same psalmist cried, Examine. Me, oh Lord, prove me. 
me. Try my reins and my heart. I ask you tonight one more time, child of God, what direction is your life trending? I ask you tonight, sir, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, what direction is your thought life trending? When nobody else is listening, when nobody else is looking, what are you thinking about? What are you dreaming about? What are you daydreaming about, sir? What direction is your life trending? Lot's story is repeated almost every day. Lot grew up with the godly influence of his uncle Abraham in his life. In many ways, I see many parallels between the life of Lot and many modern young people that we have today. Because Lot grew up with many advantages in his life. Abraham became very wealthy and Lot shared in that wealth. Lot enjoyed the blessings that came with being Abraham's nephew. This was especially true because Abraham did not have a son until much later in his life. And it seems that Lot became almost like a son to Abraham. For a long time, Lot shared in the faith and in the lifestyle and in the fellowship of his godly uncle and And because of this fellowship, because of his association and and all of the things that came with being related to a man like Abraham, we see that there were great blessings in Lot's life. And he shared the favor that God had placed on Abraham's life and he partook of the favor of God. He began to look at his life and as they were increased, as their wealth increased and as their lifestyle increased, their herds were increasing, their families were increasing, everything that they had was increasing. How many are thankful for the favor of God tonight? How many know that God will pour out blessings on people that uh, that are faithful to him? There they were. He was enjoying the blessings and in the midst of all of these good things there was just a little fly in the ointment because it became difficult for them to dwell together. As their families grew, as their herds grew, it became hard for them to share the same pastor, pastures. Fights were breaking out, tempers were flaring and Abraham in his godly wisdom realized that it was just time for them to separate. And it was in this moment... How many know that there are defining moments in every man and every woman's life? Listen to me, young person. There are moments in your life that will define the rest of your life. There are decisions... There are decisions that you may have to make very soon that will define the very rest of your life. It will shape your future. Be careful about your decisions. There he was. In a moment when Lot was faced with a difficult decision. Because when Abraham came to him and said, you know, we're just, we're just not going to be able to continue this way. We have no choice. We're going to have to separate. And Abraham did something very shocking. He it really, by right, as the elder, as the head of the household, as, as the one in authority, El- Abraham really uh, had the right that he could have looked at Lot and said, listen, here's where I'm going to go and I'm going to leave you with whatever I don't want. But Abraham in his goodness said, you know what, I I want to give Lot the first choice. 
Because Abraham loved him and was concerned for him. He said, you know what? I am going to give him the first pick of the best land, of the best pastures. I'm going to let my nephew make that decision for himself. And he said, Lot, I want you to look 360 degrees around you, to the right, to the left, to the front, to the back, north, south, east, west. I want you to look in any direction that you would like to go. That is your decision. And I give you the first choice. And when you go that direction, I will go the opposite direction. I give you that option. And in that moment, something was revealed in Lot's character, something that had before been hidden, something that before had gone unnoticed because when Abraham offered him the first choice, Lot chose to travel towards the most evil community in the region. The Bible says that Lot literally pointed his tents towards Sodom. I don't have to tell you, most of you know that Sodom was a very wicked city. If we had time, I would list all of the things that made Sodom a very wicked city, but we know it goes without saying that Sodom and Gomorrah is notorious even today, all of these thousands of years later, notorious in the history books as one of the most sinful places ever known to mankind. It's shocking that a godly man would point his tents towards such a place. And yet that's exactly what Lot chose to do. Every morning when Lot and his family, his children, when they got out of bed, the first thing they saw in the distance was the wickedness of Sodom. Every night when when Lot and his children and his wife and his servants, when they went to bed and laid their head on the pillow, the last thing that they could hear was the sounds of the wickedness of Sodom. And somewhere between chapter 13 of the book of Genesis and chapter 14, they went from pointing towards Sodom to living Sometime between just looking at wickedness and thinking about wickedness and trending towards wickedness and talking about wickedness and thinking about wickedness, somewhere between all of that, they found themselves living right in the middle. Right in the middle. Not just Lot by himself. He wasn't just going on a business trip by himself, but he relocated his children his wife and his family and his belongings and everything that he loved and everything that God had blessed him with and everything he held dear. He chose to put it in the midst of great wickedness. Something was revealed in his character. You can't tell me that this did not reveal something about the thought life of Lot. He didn't just wake up one morning and decide to go there. Something was happening in his inner man. Something was happening in his thinking. Something was causing him and propelling him to do something this dangerous, this risky, this terrifying. Any man of God would know that there would be a lack of wisdom involved to put your family in a place like this, in a place so terrible that some people would not even speak and say the name Sodom in his day. And yet he was willing to place his family there as they traveled from field to field. What was happening as they went from pasture to pasture all the while growing closer and closer and closer. Hear me. Closer and closer and closer to Sodom. What was happening? They were trending towards something. They were trending towards a place that they should have been running away from. 
They were not engaging in sin. The preacher could not point to it and say, you're in the midst of gross sin right now. But they were trending towards something that could turn in to a dangerous sin. Oh, I came to warn somebody in the Holy Ghost tonight. You say, but preacher, I'm not engaging in sin. I came to warn somebody tonight, what are you trending towards? You may not be touching it now. You may not be partaking of it now. But what are you thinking about? What are you consumed with? Where is your thought life? Where are your desires? What are you trending towards? Lot had become so comfortable with sin. Think about it. That he could live among the people of Sodom. But he could not live in harmony with his godly uncle Abraham. Could it be that he had been trending towards Sodom long before Abraham ever said, You take the first choice. The next time that Lot is even mentioned in your Bible is because his whole family, we read it. His whole family was taken captive by barbarians. Barbarians literally came into Sodom and carried him and his family and everything that they had and carried them away and took them captive. And immediately good old Uncle Abraham comes to the rescue. Aren't you thankful for godly influences in your life and godly people? I'm so thankful for bishop and pastor and elders in my life that I can run to when I make a mistake, when I fail, when my life gets me in trouble. There are godly men and women that you can turn to that will always come to your rescue. And above and beyond all that, there's a safe you're in heaven looking down on us tonight and he is always going to come to your rescue if you'll call on him when the enemy takes you by storm and carries you away captive I want you to know it's not too late for you sir it's not too late for you ma'am there's a God in heaven he can forgive you he can heal you he can anoint you and he can deliver you from the bonds of sin the bonds of slavery Abraham came in Rescued them. But what always strikes me about this story is that even after Abraham comes in and rescues Lot and his family, Lot makes the decision to go back to Sodom. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point in the story, if I was Lot, I think that I might would be wondering, is God trying to get my attention? In fact, I'll tell you what I think I might would have done if I had been Lot. I'd have, I would have pleaded with Abraham and said, Abraham, I think we could get along if we just tried a little harder. I could have a talk with, with, my, with my people, with my family, and, and, and we could work these fights out. We, we could share things. We, I think we could do it. I, I respect you, Abraham. I, I respect your leadership. I, I respect your godly influence. And maybe I could come back and, and get my family away from a place like Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe Maybe it's not right for us to be there, Abraham. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for bringing us out of this. Would you let me come back? But no. Decides to go back to a place of great wickedness and carries his family there. And later, even later, when Lot was spared from the fire and the brimstone that God sent as judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, it was only because of Abraham. Lot and his family were even spared. When Lot tried to warn, it always amazes me. When Lot tries to warn his family, when the angels come into the city 
When God sends them in his grace and in his mercy. How many are thankful for the grace and the mercy of God? You know, when I, when I read, this is just, I'm not making a theology of this, but when I see in my Bible that God sent, you know, God could have sent any amount of angels. God didn't even have to send angels. God could have just spoke the word and taken them from Sodom and taken them somewhere else. But when I read in my Bible that God sent two heavenly angels into Sodom, it makes me think that God was trying to represent grace and mercy. He was trying to let Lot know, I've got grace for you and I've got mercy for you. Uh, if you'll just be obedient to me, I'm giving you one more way of escape one more option to get out of this wickedness and this destructive place that's pulling your family down it's destroying your wife Lot. look at your wife she's so caught up with Sodom that she's so wrapped up in the world Sodom look at your children what's happening to them you have them in Sodom oh God sends the angels And they begin to talk and they warn a lot of the judgment that is to come. And the Bible makes a very important point to let you and I know that when Lot goes to his sons-in-laws and he tries to warn them that God is about to send fire and brimstone to this city and we've got to get my daughters, we've got to get my wife, we've got to pack up our things, we don't have much time, judgment's coming, we've got to get out of here. What happens? The Bible says that they laughed at him. They thought that he was jesting. They thought that he was joking. Why would that be? You say, I'll tell you why that is. Because they knew that Lot's life had been trending towards carnality. They had seen his life. They they had seen his conversation between behind closed doors and, and they knew who he was and, and suddenly when he got the revelation and suddenly when he tried to step up and be a spiritual authority and a spiritual example, he could not lead them because he had been full of carnality. Everybody wants to be a spiritual leader when the judgment is coming. But what are you going to do between now and the judgment day? You've got to live your life in a way, sir, that says I'm going to be a spiritual example in my home. I'm going to be an example of godliness and righteousness and holiness. And I'm going to lead my children and my grandchildren in spiritual things. Because if you don't do it now, the day will come when you'll try to sound the warning And your family will begin to laugh because they have not been conditioned. Because they have not grown accustomed to you being a spiritual voice in their life. And so when Lot finally tried to do the right thing, his influence had been so reduced in his family that he could not do what God had called him to do. I'm talking to a man today, sir. I'm trying to let you know that it is imperative in these last days that men, I'm thankful for all the women of Apostolic Tabernacle, but you know what we really need in the last days? We need some men to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and say, I'm not content to let the women lead in praise. I'm going to be a praiser with them. I'm not going to be the one that my wife has to drag to church, but I'm going to say, we are going to the house of God I'm not going to wait for my wife to lead in righteousness and holiness and crack open the Bible but I am going to be a spiritual authority in my home God is calling for the spirit of Abraham to get a hold of this generation and so we know the story we see that and I 
I could go deep into all of the things that happened. You've read it before. We could talk about how as they left Sodom, that Lot's wife was so, uh, she was so fascinated by Sodom. She was so wrapped up in Sodom that she could not even obey what the angels of God had instructed them to do. She couldn't resist. The Bible says that even though they warned her, do whatever you do, do not look back. God will save you. We have a safe place for you. We have a place that God has prepared for you. But whatever you do, do not look back. And Lot's wife could not even obey one simple command of God. So she turned back. And you know the tragic story. In one moment, Lot lost his wife. And then when they went to the safe place, I can't even speak of it. You know the story. Read it for yourself. But a terrible tragedy happened between Lot and his own daughters. And it literally affected his lineage for years and years and decades and decades. The effects of that sin are still felt even to this day. That is the consequence of trending towards wickedness. Samson trended towards failure for a long time before he finally told Delilah his secret and lost his strength. King Saul trended towards evil and disobedience for many years before he finally dabbled in witchcraft. We've all known lots and Samsons and Sauls. And and when we look back, we know that the warnings were clear. Long before their lives collapsed, we can go back and we can point to the places where they were trending towards evil. They were trending towards disobedience. They were trending towards failure. And I warn somebody tonight, I encourage you right now, before the failure happens, before the collapse comes, uh, take stock of your life. Examine your heart. Ask God to help you and say, where am I standing right now? What am I looking for? looking at what have I pinched my tips towards what is my life pointing towards where am I going what am I doing with my life have I surrendered full control to God is there any area that I'm clinging to for myself the musicians are coming quickly there is one man in the Bible who although he failed and What I'm really trying to bring home to somebody tonight is that it is not necessary to fail and then get back up. You can catch yourself before the failure happens. But if failure comes, you don't have to stay in failure. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You see, many people fail, but failures do not have to be final. And there is one man in particular in the Bible who failed in a very, very terrible way. And the Bible says that although he had been a great man, and you know exactly who he is, and and we could talk about all of the things that this man did, and and the second king of Israel, and and he killed Goliath, and and, uh, and he killed giants, and, and, and he led armies into battle, and he won great victories for Jehovah, and he was a worshiper, he was a praiser, he was a songwriter, he was a worship leader, he was a godly king, a godly influence, and the lineage of Christ life where he let his guard down when he should have been on the battlefield when he should have been at outreach when he should have been at church when he should have been at youth class when he should have been at prayer meeting when he should have been at the altar when he should have been doing something for God instead while everybody else was out fighting the battles for God he was at home 
had time to kill. I want you to listen to me, young person. Having too much time can be a very, very, very dangerous thing. In fact, if you've got too much time, go find, go ask somebody, can I do some work for you? Can I get my hands busy? Can I do something? Can I work for the church? Because if you're idle too long, the devil will begin to sweep in and he'll try to arrest your thinking and he'll try to cause you to think about all kinds of things that distract you from goodness and draw you into sin. And that's exactly what happened to King David. He found himself with too much time on his hands and he was trending towards things and he stepped out on the roof of, of, his, of his house and he looked out and across the way he sees Bathsheba bathing and that from that moment on he was trending towards unrighteousness. He trended towards lustfulness. And you know the end of the story. He failed. He fell down terribly. Not only did he commit adultery, not only did he hurt generations to come, but he had a, a man murdered so that he could do all of this. It was an epic failure in his life. But David was different from Lot, and different from Saul, different from Samson. And all of the other great failures from the Word of God. Not because he didn't fail, but because how he responded to his failure. The Bible says that when, when David failed, for a while things just kind of went along. Everyone just kind of ignored it. David ignored it. Just pretended like nothing had happened. Isn't that what people do? They, they do things. They sin. They get into all kinds of trouble. And, and then people just try to pretend like nothing's wrong. All the while, there's a big elephant in the room, a big problem that needs to be dealt with. And God's saying, don't you realize there, there's something terrible? Don't you realize you're living in the middle of Sodom? Don't you realize there's a problem? Don't you realize you're going to lose your children? Something that needs to be dealt with and God is crying out. I think that God is crying out to this entire United States of America and the world that we live in and God is saying, don't you realize that there is a sin issue that needs to be dealt with? Don't you realize you need to repent? Turn back to God. David was trying to go along like nothing had ever happened and God sent the prophet Nathaniel. I like the prophet Nathaniel because Nathaniel was willing to go and stand before a king that was beloved. A king that had been righteous. A king that had been a role model and example to everyone. They wrote songs about David. They danced in the street when David would come home from battles. They, they idolized David, if I could use that in, in a modern sense. They looked up to him. He was an example to them. And he failed. And the man of God knew that he failed. And he had a responsibility to go to him. And Nathaniel went to him and he did it with wisdom. And he began to tell him a story about how a man stole a sheep from, from a very poor man. A rich man stole from the poor man. And, and David, being the man that he was, was indignant by the story. And Nathaniel said, you, sir, are the thief. God knows what you've done and I know what you've done. And immediately, and immediately David was pricked in his heart. And immediately he did what Saul never did. And 
and he repented before God. And in closing, I'd like to read as we stand together. I'd like to read the psalm that David composed after Nathaniel had come to him. David composed Psalms 51. And this is what he said, and I'd like this to be our prayer tonight. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thy judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou hast desired truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within Could we just lift up our hands all over the sanctuary and could we quote that last verse together? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, one more time. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost sweeping in. Come on, somebody, make that your prayer. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Oh, come on, somebody get desperate with God tonight. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. And renew a right spirit within me. Purge our heart, God. Purge me with hyssop, Lord, that I may be clean. Wash me whiter than snow. This altar's open tonight. There ought to be people running to this altar right now. You may not be living in sin right now. But there's some people right now, You have the God has been giving you the realization that you're trending towards some things. You're heading in a direction that is not safe, that is not righteous. I wonder if we could come and say, Lord, I, I've been trending towards sin. I, I've been trending towards failure, but no longer. I'm going to turn around. <laughs> I'm going to go back to a safe place. I'm going to go back to a righteous place.